right now. What about you? Um, I'm loving it. Like, I feel like my stress levels are completely down just by controlling my environment. And even though, you know, during the week when I work, I have Zoom meetings. So there's still like a feeling that you're part of a team that you are expected to deliver work. But the way that we go about it feels a lot more compatible with my introverted nature and yeah I'm like loving it the first week I went all out and like I cooked everything and anything I could think of and I was also like opening bottles and just living like it was my last week of life and then I like regulated I think a lot of people went through that I regulated and now it feels I'm actually a bit apprehensive to go back to the normal life and like having to see so many people one thing that I really liked actually from these past four or five weeks was to just not have to deal with anyone else's gaze on me or like looks or having to worry how do I look is this person looking at me because you know I look like a bum just having to process outside stimulus is something that I haven't had to deal with and I'm like ah it's so freeing I'm loving it I wonder how many other people are feeling that way about it. Like introverts, y'all were ready for this. Y'all, this is y'all's dream to some extent. But I wonder how long it'll last, of course, and how long before people kind of revert to a different way. I'm extroverted, and now that I have to spend so much time alone, am I going to miss seeing people so much? Or am I going to be like, hey, this is actually not so bad. I can hang out with myself and be cool. And then on the introverted aspect, are y'all going to be like, man, I don't have anyone to tell no to (laughs) about going out and doing anything or socializing? Big time. I mean, I have some, like, virtual dinner dates with some friends and it's for sure not the same but it's also delivering on the 80% that I need from like social connection and exchanging on our lives and deep conversations like it's check you know the 20% is more of like the body language and and being physically present but for me it's just 20% it's not the 80% what's the word like a skin hunger have you heard that before no, but actually I saw it on Emily's profile. Okay, that's where I got it from. I was like, where did I hear that from? It was Emily. It was definitely Emily. <laughs> yeah, the same sources. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, damn, that's an interesting thing. Just like missing touch, whether it be a handshake, a hug, a high five, an elbow bump, whatever. I guess whenever we come out of this, I mean, the big lesson now is I guess people really haven't been washing their hands much for soap to have all of a sudden just been oversold when the only message that's being delivered right now is wash your hands, a normal person should. So are we going to come out of this not doing handshakes anymore? Are we not going to hug? Are we going to be reluctant to have any sort of skin-skin contact or what? That's something to think about. I have very low skin hunger level. I hate when I have friends who are like, my sister always does that. She tells me a story and she's like, and you know what he did? You know what he did? And she'll like bump into my arm just to like keep me, as soon as I look away, she'll be like, and you won't guess what. And then, and I'm like, can you stop touching me? <laughs> I just, I prefer not to be touched. Actually, I saw this video of a kindergarten where 
there was a teacher that had like three main ways to have children choose how they wanted to say hi. So the first one was like a little dance move. The second one was a high five and the third one was a hug. And then they were just showing which one they wanted to the teacher. And I was like, this is exactly how we should do it even as adults. It's like, can I give you a hug? Well, sometimes we say, can I give you a hug? But we kind of never say no. It's like rude to say no. But I really like the sort of, hey, how do you feel like welcoming me or like greeting me versus just going for the handshake or going for the hug and it's like oh i could see us doing dance moves like coming out of this we'll we'll definitely do the dance moves it'd be cool to see like hats or shirts that have that on it and then you can just see somebody and be like for the handshake or for the hug or the other one just start dancing and then they get it like all right we we good we good come on let's go and we can have this meeting now everyone go to your seats I love that. Even when we did the, um, in January, I went to India to do a yoga teacher training, half of a teacher training, actually. And we had silent days and I felt like society at large, like lacks some kind of structured to allow people to have silent days like if we were to wear a t-shirt and like a certain color or maybe there's a logo or whatever and so you could recognize that this person is having a silent day and they don't have to seclude themselves in their apartment in order to have people respect that silent day but at the same time you can't communicate to people that you're on a silent day and like it would be so nice if you could just navigate the world with people respecting that you're having just like an introspective moment where regardless of where you are I don't know if it exists, but I feel like, yeah, we should even just to reintroduce ourselves in society after the quarantine. I feel like this would be a nice way to get back into right away. Don't have to rush to small talk again. I don't know. Start a hashtag, make a post, silent day. The day after quarantine. (laughs) A lot of extroverts will be like, no, bitch, we haven't been talking to anyone for five weeks. Like, this is all we've been wanting. Just talk day. Social day, not silent day. We can give y'all this and then we'll take the rest of the days of the year. (laughs) (laughs) When uh, you talk about silence, I immediately think about how uncomfortable we are collectively as a society with silence, how we always have to fill that space. I think it was Eckhart Tolle, Stillness Speaks was one of the books where he talked about silence and stillness and how we constantly are bombarded with messages, media, words, things to do, expectations, labels, and that peace in the stillness and in the silence. Like I think that introverts and people who appreciate that are onto something because the more time that you're able to spend there and charge it allows for you to be able to better filter in the messages that you're constantly being bombarded with that's an interesting thought yeah even as each of us in the teacher training group were doing silent days some people literally were just coming to attend the classes and then were going back to their room so they were pulling themselves away from any social setting not even social interaction just like social setting and other people were having their silent day amongst other people so we had like a little tag so you knew not to talk to that person specifically but they still wanted to actually be a part of conversations by not participating but just listening and taking it in I tried to do that approach and sometimes like when people were talking and I felt like I had the solution or like I had an interesting way to think about the problem and I had to hold back and actually that 
gave the space to someone else to say something, either something that I was going to say or something that was different and super interesting. And I wonder, had I said what I wanted to say, maybe this person wouldn't have said theirs. And sometimes it's a nice exercise to either count in your head until five, until you say whatever you want to say, or hold back and see if anyone else is going to say something interesting. I did feel the discomfort of like not acknowledging people's presence. So usually the, hey, or even just a look or like when someone does something for you and you really want to say thank you and you don't and you feel so bad you feel like oh my gosh I'm like disrespecting them and I don't know it made me think about when we say thank you which is acknowledging that the other person has done something for you but when you say hello I don't know all these ways to make people feel seen but if you flip it it's also a way for you to feel at peace with your conscience that you're acknowledging someone else like I don't know there's something that felt very do I want to say thank you for this person really or do I want to say thank you for myself because I feel so disrespectful and unpolite by not saying thank you and I don't know in your yoga teacher training did you do some communication exercises Mm, that's not ringing any bell maybe if you tell me of an exercise it might so uh, in mine, which has been postponed, I, I made it through half of mine and then COVID-19. One of the early exercises were to get with a partner. One person sits facing forward and the other person sits. So imagine like two people are at different points of an L. So we're like side by side, but facing a different angle. One person has to talk for three minutes and then the other person has to listen for three minutes and not say anything. Because I do this podcast and I listen for so long, that was easy. I was able to just sit there, nod my head. It wasn't hard for me to not say what I was thinking or give any sort of input. I just give my eye contact and like smile at the good things. And you notice that people almost feel forced to fill that space. Just kind of like we were saying earlier, like you can talk for three minutes, but you can just be saying things for three minutes. And then on the other end of that, when I was talking, I didn't want to shut up. The time flew by when I was talking. The time went by so (laughs) slow when she was. The stuff that comes out when you just nonstop talk for three minutes, if you're also hearing yourself or listening to yourself or someone else is listening to you, it shapes what you say. We were two strangers at this point in time. So I'm like, okay, don't overshare. Don't talk about herpes. Don't talk about this podcast. Just talk. And that's kind of what it was. I was like, I can do this. I have things to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel much more comfortable being the listener than the talker most of the time. One of our instructors, she's uh, really good about using silence. So there'll be times where I wonder, did she hear what I said? Or is she not listening? Or what's happening here? But she's just that comfortable in silence, whereas a lot of people aren't. I think that we are in a space now where we are so used to getting feedback immediately that when there's silence or even in texting for instance like you could text me something and i could be processing it if i don't text you back in like three minutes if you don't see those three dots you assume something's wrong like why haven't you said anything or you'll just send another question mark or something there's such freedom in silence whereas there's so much pressure in the noise i'm feeling like Yeah, that's very, very true. Actually, you're reminding me of when I first moved to Germany. The company that I work for, like 90% of the people are German. They speak English, but they're native German. 
moving from New York, you know, the way that I would behave in meetings, it was like, okay, so what are we meeting about? What was the client's feedback? What's our plan of action? So how about we do that? And I was just like, pa, 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 like time is money and you don't want to waste people's time. One, because they're German and here they say that no compliment is the compliment. So even after you give like a presentation or whatever, if they don't say anything, it's already a sign of compliment rather than usually the typical response that they are used to is just kind of more questions or feedback or discussion so if nothing is said it means you did a good job and second they're ESL and they just take a little bit more time to figure out what they want to say and actually say it at the beginning I was like this is awkward (laughs) you know and then now when we work with my former New York office so we're just like the same company but on a zoom between New York and Berlin we always feel like there's a cartoon I forget what it's called what is it? I forget. Where there's like a sloth that works at a bank and he's like super, super slow. And he's repeating the joke that like the rabbit is like, okay, so my uh, card number is da 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 da. Four, five. They're like, this is us. And the rabbit is New York. And yeah, I definitely felt it was a difference of speed, but also a difference in feeling like they have to fill that space. And even like, in the kitchen when we run into each other. In the US, you could be sitting next to someone if you run into them in the bathroom or in the kitchen, it's like, hey, hey, there's no need to say, hey, I've been sitting next to you all day. But there's this need to acknowledge that I'm seeing you and there's nothing wrong, therefore I'm acknowledging you vocally. Otherwise, there might be something wrong versus them, they're just like, they say good morning in the morning and then everybody lives their life in the shared space without feeling that every person has a need to be acknowledged every single time you run into them. That was pretty awkward at first, but actually refreshing after two years. So after a while, you're just like, yeah, this is this is my speed. I like this. In the U.S., you didn't really have anything to compare it to. So you don't know that there's a different way of being or a different way of life until you're in a situation where it's like, this is normal for y'all. Y'all do this. And then you become aware of like, oh, OK, we do this. Why do we do this? And then you begin to just explore the potential reasonings behind it. I think at the root of it, we care a lot about what other people think, especially of us. So when we say hi to someone or when we greet them for the first time or acknowledge their existence, we want to see what kind of mood they're in towards us, right? So you say good morning to one of your coworkers or your boss. You're gauging what their mood is for the day. Oh, hey, CEO. And if they're like smiling, hey, you're like, oh, cool, it's going to be a great day. Or if they're like walking fast, they don't hear you. Or if you don't speak, you think that they're mad at you. And it's just like you create these thoughts that have nothing to do with you about yourself in regards to another person that you do or don't acknowledge, right? In their mind, they might have just been wondering, damn, did I leave the coffee pot running when I left home or what? Whereas over there... The normal thing is just to, we may acknowledge each other, we may not, and that's okay. It's not rude not to speak. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I mean, with the U.S., there's like a discomfort with silence. And then something on top of that is the fear of conflict. And therefore, they, or I say they as if you're not American, you guys <laughs> tend
tend to compensate with over excitement of like, hey, awesome, oh my god. <laughs> and at the beginning, I felt so overwhelmed with all this outward positivity for literally lame stuff. Like, oh, what you do last weekend? Oh, I went to the park with my dog. Oh, cute. And I was like, oh, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Weirdo. But on the other hand, I mean, it's all negative. On the other hand, Having grown up in Rome, but I always attended a French school because my parents are partially French. Um, both education system are very top down in terms of like the teacher is like even visually, if you go in a classroom, chances are that there's like a little stair and then the teacher will be on the stair. The desk of the teacher will be on the, not a stair, a step. And we are a bit lower. And it wasn't like a discussion in class. We weren't welcome to ask questions or like to interrupt and chime in. It was not the way that the class was supposed to go. And then I moved to the US and I realized that I was getting a lower grade because I wasn't asking questions and because I wasn't participating in class. And I was wondering like, why are these guys raising their hands to say stupid stuff? Like who cares? And I realized they were getting better grades than me just because they were participating. I'm reading the book Quiet by Susan Can, and she's saying like, everything is built for extroverts. It's all about like building outward confidence and building performance, even if you don't have substance behind it. And I was like, huh. And then I realized, shit, I'm getting penalized because I am not participating. And so then I started doing the same thing. And actually, I feel that I grew my confidence a lot just by having to perform extroversion and like looking a bit more social. So I learned how to fake it, but still like deep emotionally inside. I'm like, oh my God, apocalypse, respond now, respond now. Yeah, those participation you know? points got me through college. Because <laughs> like, the, substance, the substance was never really there for me because I've learned that I learn a certain way. I have to do and mess up and correct course. I can't just sit and have someone tell me that something is this way and then you give me a test and I'm supposed to just remember it. Like I'm a very hands-on or group-oriented type person. So I'm so glad that I hit record at the beginning. I guess we can start the podcast now. <laughs> Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Bray. I'm here with Laureen HD. How long has this been coming? I know that you've been doing your YouTube channel for... Longer than I've been doing the podcast, for sure. We connected pretty early. The stars never aligned for us to get together, which I'm glad that we're able to now because I think we have a lot more to talk about and it'll be more of a substance-based conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird because I don't know if you have this too, but for me, hearing your voice on your podcast and then also when we message each other, you like voice notes. So I don't feel like this is the first time that I'm actually meeting you because I feel that a lot of what makes you court me, like I've already been acquainted to it. So it is the first time that we're actually talking, but it feels like it's not. I know. It's so amazing. And now we just get to record it and share it with the world. <laughs> Oh, I don't feel like we should go into your backstory. Like, is there a place that I can just link to that? Because yeah. there's much more that we have that we can discuss. And typically the person or people who come on here, they'll share their experience living with herpes, like when they were diagnosed, what was happening, blah, blah, blah. But I think we're both past that, <laughs> at least for this podcast episode. So uh, we discuss a few different topics. Now, 
we didn't get to talk before I hit record, which I'm so grateful I did because we will have probably completed an entire episode or two had I not. But I edit everything. So if you say anything that you don't like or you stumble over a word or something, just take a breath and then repeat it the way that you meant for it to come out and I'll be able to just clean that up. If there's any topics that we touch on that you really aren't comfortable with, then I can cut all of that out too. So this is just really a free-flowing conversation. Let me get this out the way first (laughs) because this is the thing that right before we started that we were gonna dive into. The main topic is like being open about having herpes and how that's received in terms of dating, society, family, friends. This is a topic I haven't covered yet, and I wanna make sure to dive into that with you. But I have a little bit of a disclosure story, and this will be your first time hearing it in detail, right? (laughs) So, So Sierra and I, we ended our relationship on Christmas 2019. So today is like April 10th, I believe. Yeah, April 10th, it's Good Friday. I started actively dating in March, let me say that. I felt like I was ready after I was able to put into words what happened in our relationship and what my role was in our not being together anymore. And so I got back on dating sites and I've chosen to put in all of my profiles that I am HSV2 positive, that I have genital herpes. It's been received well for the most part because I think in putting it there, you kind of just weed out anyone who's gonna have an issue with it at all no that's not the case so (laughs) a couple of days ago no it was actually yesterday it was yesterday that this happened this is so fresh so i'm glad that we're doing this now i matched with someone on one of the sites and she and i were talking and on her bio she said that she liked for people to be direct so i was just like um i'm gonna be very direct here I want you to just be honest about what it is that you're looking for on here because I've come across people who are just selling nudes, I've come across robots, people looking for a bull, looking for a third for their relationship, people who are just looking for a friend with benefit situation, and then people who are looking for marriage, so it's all across the board, so I was just like being mindful of both of our time. What are you looking for? And then I'll tell you what I'm looking for uh, after I hit send on this. So I hit send and then I shared with her. I was just like, you know, I'm not really being on expectations or labels or anything like that right now. Um, I just got out of a two and a half ish year relationship. I'm in a place of looking to see how connections just evolve. That was kind of where I left it. And so she mentioned that uh, she'd been married for a while and she wasn't looking for anything serious right now if it turned into that then cool but then she was like i'm super attracted to you but i think that the hsv2 is a deal breaker for me and i was like damn i thought that i was keeping this from happening because we had already had a little bit of a text exchange i'd say maybe like 10 back and forth texts so just like playful banter or whatever but then when i saw that i was like shit this is a rejection god damn it and then the conversation continued she said that that might have been a deal breaker i was like well you know if that is a deal breaker for you i understand i respect that but here's my experience and what it's been i've been with partners who were negative for herpes and this was how we were able to be together and if having contact there is something that you are uncomfortable with then 
I can be with you in other ways. If you're interested in that, like we can talk about that. She's like, ooh, I'm interested in hearing about these other ways. So uh, she expressed that she was just a very sexual person and like she wouldn't want limitations on what she can and can't do. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, you know, I respect it. But she continued to message me like we were shit, essentially sexting at this point, like talking about what we like. And so it hit a point where I was like, okay, I don't think this is going anywhere. So I got to like stop allowing this interaction because it's taking from me. I'm not, I hate to say it like this, but I'm not getting anything out of this anymore. Like you're exciting yourself and I'm over here like, getting my hopes up being disappointed so I just let her know I was like hey well you know if you change your mind or if you want more information I'm happy to share it with you if you want to hear about my experience this was when uh the let's talk bro podcast that I just did came out so I was like um I'm happy to share this with you as well here's my number you can hit me up and then we left it at that the point of me sharing that is to demonstrate another way that we as people who are living with herpes while we may put our boundaries or barriers in place to keep our feelings from being hurt, I guess, about it. Like, no matter who you are, like, someone just may not want to put themselves in position to get it from you. So no matter what the numbers are, what the surveys say, what precautions you take, anyone can experience that feeling of rejection. But I had to just tell myself, like, I do this podcast. So if someone is turning down my offer, it's nothing personal against me. But then even if this person were to have wanted to continue the conversation or even just see how serious I was, or if I was worth the quote unquote risk, I still got to look out for myself. Like, yeah, I was very fucking attracted to her. And yeah, if I tried, maybe we'd meet up, but would it be, would it be worth it to know that she's hesitant? And then for me to be charming and manipulative and everything like that in order to get her to be with me in the way that I wanted her to. So sometimes we just got to let go. So that's my disclosure, rejection (laughs) story. (laughs) Do you have anything you want to add to that? Because that was totally me. Yeah, there's like a few thoughts and like past experiences that came up as you were talking about this. First of all, unlike popular opinion, I guess, it's not because we're comfortable talking about the ins and outs of our diagnosis and how we process it and how we build or, you know, regain confidence in ourselves and how we learn not to take these rejections personally. It doesn't mean that these things don't happen to us anymore. It's the same thing with transmission, you know, just because I'm super educated about how the virus is transmitted and I know how to reduce chances of transmission that I'm all of a sudden able to completely eliminate the risk from my sexual life with uh, partners that are negative. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what being educated and being confident in yourself allows you to do. And there's also a bit of work that we have to do around accepting that we also have our own limits like we can be as accepting as we want we can be as knowledgeable as we want we're still not excluded from the pool of people who might get rejected or who might be misunderstood it's a humbling experience i think it's one that (laughs) probably keeps making us grow sometimes it feels like you know sometimes people talk to me as if well you are already so confident and it makes me feel like I have hit my ceiling of well I contracted this and now I talk about it with everyone so therefore that's it like end of the journey it's actually so much richer and more complex than this 
And then lastly, the experience that it actually reminded me of was with a guy whom I was seeing a couple years ago and we actually knew each other like in person and we dated for about a month without anything physical really happening beyond kissing. And then after a month, I think there had been a holiday in between. So we had been like away from each other and like that sexual tension building over text and like anticipation of the actual moment. For me, you know, of course, uh, by then I was already having my YouTube channel and my Instagram had like herpes front and center. Like there were no gaps in between my story of like, who I am and at work professionally or with my friends and also on YouTube. I still talked about it with him, made sure that he knew that information. And then he didn't really ask much. And I just assumed that therefore he did his homework on his own or he was comfortable with it or maybe he had prior experience. Like, I didn't really ask more. I was like, this is what I have. This is what it means for you. This is what I'm doing to protect myself. And then I let him sort of open the door if he felt the need to, but he didn't. So after a month, we got back from that holiday and I was like, all right, it's on like the next, you know, the next uh, date, like we're finally going to get to be intimate. God damn it. So we went for a date, we went for like dinner, drinks, and then after dinner drinks. And then at some point I asked him, I was like, hey, do you want to come back to my place? And he said, yes. And so we went to my place. And then by the time we got to my apartment, I was pretty much like, all right, it's on. And like I started on dressing and I undressed him and then once we were about to start being intimate I just felt like he wasn't comfortable and so I stopped and I was like are you okay is there anything wrong like do you want to talk about something and he's like well I thought we were going to talk about it more and in that moment I felt super humiliated I felt super hurt because I was like wait a minute we've been dating for a month You've never brought this up to like dig deeper, ask me questions. Like you follow me to my place, you let me get naked and you're naked and you wait until the last minute to say that there's something you want to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was super offended. And I think we didn't talk for, for weeks after that. And then actually like having a moment of introspection, I realized, damn, but you know what? This is consent, actually. Just because he dated me for a month, it didn't mean that he was ready. And just because he followed me home, it didn't mean that in that moment he felt comfortable. And maybe he thought he was ready, and then he realized he wasn't ready. And who am I to make him feel like he owed this to me? And that my humiliation is more worth worth it than his comfort and then all of a sudden from like the victim I ended up thinking of myself as like perpetrator and I was like shit so then we kind of talked about it and level said in a way not really as in depth as, as I wish we would have but yeah that was like a really humbling moment and growth experience for me to realize that you know sometimes I preach a lot and I talk about consent and stuff but then the ways that you have to apply this especially when you have an STI can look very very differently I actually made a video about this but yeah as I listen to that it's almost the exact opposite of if a person were to wait until right then and there to disclose because now the shoe's on the other foot, so it's interesting to hear this particular angle from the person with herpes who uh, is open about it, and we assume, all right, well, if I'm so open about it, you've been pursuing me, we've been talking this long, I shouldn't have to talk about it, you should bring it up. That's exactly like how I would think, the same way that you just went about things, that's how I would have gone about it as well, thinking, if you have questions, you'll ask me, right? 
Exactly. When you talk about the consent and making sure that he was comfortable, how many people have that kind of a response? Let's remove herpes from the situation. We talk about how, you know, the communication was go out, dinner, drinks, come back to my place. We're both naked. And then you see that person's probably triggered and having a little bit of a submit freeze response or whatever. And how often do people not check in, though? How often do people not ask questions and just kind of go along with it and continue past that point of the other person's comfort yeah i don't want to generalize but i have a feeling that you guys just from a biology standpoint if things are not working then sex is not happening so in a way when a guy is not comfortable in that setting it's easier to stop and talk about it and check in because there's no way to move forward versus when it's a woman who is uncomfortable and kind of her body language might express that she's not comfortable but she's not clearly saying it i don't know just in society it's been taken less as a sign to stop and check in and more as oh she might be shy or oh she might be like a bit prudish or whatnot like all these bullshit excuses rather than hey this is probably worth a little check-in and a conversation regardless of, of him and his biology i'm happy that we could check in it's just Sometimes we talk about it from a very like abstract and philosophical standpoint, but when you're in the moment and you are aroused and you are attracted to that person and you've built anticipation for each other, hearing that there's an issue, whether it's, oh, I have cramps or it's a disclosure or it's an I'm not ready, hearing that there's an obstacle between you and your pleasure is a really hard one to, to stomach. It takes a lot of you and maturity and I don't even know if there's an accurate word for it, but it takes a lot of you to step back and be the bigger person and realize that how you're feeling is not the priority at the moment. Respecting each other's feelings and respecting each other's state of mind is actually so much more important, and, and that's what you have to focus on. Is this the sexuality educator, the sex educator in you, or is this the human in you that's talking right now? I think probably both but it was definitely the human in me who reacted that night and was like what the fuck like you humiliated me and even again as a woman i felt almost used you know it's like you let me get undressed and you let you follow me to my place you put me in this really vulnerable position as a woman which is completely untrue there is no more vulnerable position as a woman or as a man but in that moment the human in me having learned so many wrong lessons from society about sex and what is the role of a woman within sexuality initiating sexuality and being sexual that it was definitely the human i think the moment of introspection later was more the sex educator being like oh, oh wait a minute how about you you start thinking about consent in that situation and you examine what happened not through your perspective but the perspective of the sex educator and that's when I realized I guess I was not the victim in that <laughs> yeah we're human yeah. you know just because we put our faces out here doesn't mean that we don't experience the same sort of issues as other people I think that the way that we deal with them or respond in the moment is a human way but then the way that we move forward from it the way that we uh, look back on it with introspection, I think that may be the differentiator because in that moment of hearing or when I read that HSV2 might be a deal breaker for me, I was like, oh, well, why'd you, why'd you even message me in the first place? Did you not read my bio, right? But then being able to, like you said, just step back and remove yourself from the situation and look at it objectively from the 
holistic standpoint of Courtney and who Courtney is. First off, maybe she didn't read the profile right away. She just saw me and was like, ooh, yeah. And then it got to a point where she did read the bio and was just like, oh, okay. And then I also have to understand, you know, like, respect that this isn't going to be the case for everyone. And rejection can look so many different ways and I'm not immune to it. No one's immune to feeling the way that a person is going to feel after being told no, after having made an offer to someone, right? So I'd say that just so that anyone listening who may be struggling with rejection for their STI status to just know like it doesn't just go away when you publicly disclose or it doesn't go away when you're involved in this space or doing this healing I want to say this educating it's there it may look different but the feeling is still the same As you hear Lorraine and I talk about all the different reasons we could potentially experience rejection from a potential partner, let's not let an unawareness of our or their status even be an option on the table. Let's get checked, all one word, is a company with the mission to make professional health testing easily accessible. With their fast, affordable, and always confidential, we all know how important anonymity is, STI kits, they help us to ensure that we're taking care of ourselves and our partners by being able to conveniently get tested and know the status of all parties involved. Visit www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP today and save 20% off your first test kit purchase. Now that's just TryLogic without the vowel, so get it, T-R-Y-L-G-C. I went to try logic without the vows.com slash SPFPP and I placed an order for the complete 10 test kit listed at $269, but it's 20% off when you go to again trylogic.com without the vows, T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash SPFPP. And it includes, you ready? Chlamydia, gonorrhea, trick, HIV, syphilis, gardnerella. Mycoplasma, urea plasma, and HSV-1 and HSV-2. So the reason I'm so excited is because, A, I want to know how big of a wuss I'm going to be when I'm trying to draw my own blood. (laughs) And then, B, I'm genuinely curious to see if I've also contracted HSV-1 on top of already having tested positive for HSV-2. Their most popular test is the Standard 5, which includes HIV, syphilis, trick, gonorrhea, and chlamydia, and that starts at $149, which again, if you go to Trilogic without the vowels.com slash SPFPP, you'll bring it down to, what's that, like $119? I did the math already before I wrote this down. So, yeah, it's 119. (laughs) Uh, I chose my test and now I'm just waiting to get it in so I can activate it, send off my collected samples, and then I'll be able to review my results available via a secure online account within two to five days from the time it arrives to the lab. Now, once the results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician and a nurse will contact me for a consultation over the phone. I know you're thinking, well, Courtney, what if your results come back positive? Well, I'm glad you asked. If I test positive for an SCI that can be treated with antibiotics, a let's get checked nurse practitioner will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of my choosing, providing me with care from diagnosis to treatment. 
without ever having to go into the doctor's office or a lab, which is really convenient right now, especially during this pandemic, and I ain't got no health insurance. So <laughs> with the highest ranking level of accreditation, the Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved. All data is anonymized, anonymized, it's anonymous. It's one of those words that vary up the word anonymous so that it ensures that your privacy is maintained throughout the process. And I can't push the convenience enough, y'all. So let's cut through the I don't knows about your or your partner status and visit trylogic.com slash SPFPP without the vowels. That's T-R-Y-L-G-C dot com slash SPFPP now to save 20%. Please remember that URL when you uh, go and fill this out, y'all. Now, back to our conversation with Lorraine HD. Totally. And then also, when we contract an STI like herpes, I think we tend to laser focus on that. Like whenever we get rejected from that, it's as if we had never been rejected in our entire life for nothing else. Again, taking a step back, like for example, for me, I used to date this guy who was Greek Orthodox and his dad was a priest. And so he had you know, been raised in this very religious environment and he himself was very religious and for him like being sexual before marriage was a problem and not going to church every Sunday was a problem and uh, not saying the prayer before uh, dinner was a problem and so when we started dating I was like first of all I'm not Greek Orthodox and second I'm not really religious like I grew up Catholic but I'm not practicing and I don't even know if I actually believe that there's a God. At his side, now I understand, I think he wanted to be open-minded and he had you know, moved to the city from Pennsylvania. He moved to New York a year before meeting and it was also very new for him to like, meet so many different people from diverse background and stuff. And he wanted to challenge himself to be open, to be not rigid about his beliefs and we dated I think we dated like six months or seven months and I met his family and like I was really 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 into him and then he realized after six or seven months that he just couldn't do it trying to separate who he was and, and his beliefs was just not working out and you know his conscience was not letting him sleep at night so he had to make that choice and I felt taken for a fool I was like dude I told you I was not religious from the day we met why did you date me why did it take you so long and why did you wait for me to fall in love with you and, and all this like why 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 it's your fault as if I didn't know that he was religious and that he religion was important to him and that all along we were both taking a chance on trying to accommodate for something that the other person didn't have and so yeah that was a trade-up projection and Sure, I could have converted and pretended to be Greek Orthodox and pretended to be religious, but I didn't have it in me. I didn't feel like that was true and I was being true to myself. And so, sure, a diagnosis, you cannot get rid of it, especially if it's a, a herpes one. But it's the same. I mean, yes, it's, it's a virus that is now a part of me and being rejected for it. It's always like, oh, but if I didn't have the virus, I would be perfect. I would not be rejectable. Look in your past. See if there's not other things that are not necessarily like built into your physique or your biology, but you know, everything is a part of who you are. And sometimes you, you will want to change it. Just like my ex who tried to change him being religious and, and 
and it didn't work. There's so many things that make us connect or disconnect with people. And I always try to encourage whoever's been diagnosed with herpes to think of herpes as one of those like parts that make them who they are rather than whether they relate to it or not. At this point, they just have to accept it and just have faith that it's not systematically a deal breaker. Just to expand on that a bit, I could be too short for someone at six feet. Someone maybe doesn't date black dudes or someone may not like my beard or someone may not like how big I am. Someone may not like what I do for a living or how I show up in certain things or may not like my profession. They might not like how I dress. These are all things that can be potentially deal breakers for people. It's not fair to us to have to try and be someone we're not and lie to ourselves. I know that you've gone through yoga teacher training, but there is uh, under the yamas and niyamas, which are essentially like belief systems internal and external there's one that talks about i forget where it is but do no harm to yourself like uh no acts of violence towards yourself and i think that when we lie to ourselves that's an act of violence against ourselves because we have to now follow up these lies that we're telling ourselves about ourselves with our behaviors and then our behaviors become the lie. So while we may not verbalize, hey, I'm not religious, but I'm going to act like it, our behaviors will put us in direct conflict between who we are, how we behave in a situation versus how we want the other person that we may be dating to see us behave. It's important here to note that we don't want people to date us for our potential just like we don't want to date people for their potential because now we're playing this manipulation game of how much can I make this person love me to where it doesn't matter anymore? So you're either hoping that you can change or that they can change. But ultimately, people don't really change. They just become more of who they are, who they're going to be. There may be things about a person that can change, but when a person shows you who they are, like you have to believe, okay, this is who this person is. They might make changes to behaviors. They might make some changes, but that person themselves, like it's not like a whole making them into another person like I'm not going to be taller I'm not going to be a different skin color I'm not going to be from a different place this is just who I am mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting that you're bringing up the height because my most recent ex it's like it's a podcast where I talk about all of my exes <laughs> today but um my most recent ex was or is uh I think five seven I was gonna say what'd you do to, did you did you carol bask in them Well, no, I mean, this is the thing. I always thought of myself as, you know, I'm between six and six one. So I'm tall. And I always thought of myself as attracted only to the tall guys or guys that were at least my height. When I would go out and I would see uh, guys that were shorter than me, I could still appreciate their beauty. But the attraction was not kicking in because for me, height was a must. And then when I met my ex, I went through this again, introspection, thinking, well, is this really something that is a deal breaker for me? And if so, what is it based on? We're talking about romance. We're talking about connection. We're talking about partnership and support. What the fuck does height have to do with any of that? It's a bit tricky. I think this is part of the process of growing up and understanding what matters and what doesn't matter like someone's religious belief and how they were raised this is something that probably is ingrained 
in them and has a, a repercussion on their value system and, and their overall beliefs. But other things, and so, so the religious and religion will, will matter to them and will be a core element that you have to learn to either accept or deal with or it's something that will break you guys apart. Or things like heights. How much importance do I want to give to height? And I know that society tells me you're a tall woman and actually as a woman you should look for men who are taller than you because that's how you can somehow measure the protection that this man can give to you. Mind you, I've never had to be physically protected in my entire life, but this is still how we are raised, to find someone who can be who can protect you. At that point, I had to decide what narrative I wanted to move forward with. The one that society gave to me, which says that it's ridiculous for a woman to be taller than a man, or the one that I discovered, which was that height has nothing to offer to a partnership and romantic relationship. Even for us, you know, for my ex and I, it took us a little bit of time to acclimate to the difference of height and like me basically like hugging him and him having to be on his tippy toes sometimes and like it was making us feel things but then we we got over it because there was so much more and i think with herpes it's the same thing either you want to choose to believe that this is a sexual death sentence and that you are dirty and that if you contracted it it's your fault and because it's your fault therefore you don't deserve romance and love or you can decide to question that and understand how much of that you want to carry in your journey and how much you want to let that define you. Again, it's a bit tricky to understand what the challenge and and what to move forward with from all the beliefs that you've been raised with and that you associate yourself with. Some are going to be more ingrained than others, but I think particularly on the height thing, I did a similar journey detaching myself from all the pressure that I put on myself to find someone who was taller than me with I did a similar journey with like uh, my herpes diagnosis and feeling like this was a shameful virus that I had in me and that therefore I should be silent about it and that I should believe that my pool of potential partners was limited to people who had the same condition as mine. Mm -hmm. People have preferences. There may be a preference for someone taller than you, or there may be a preference for someone of the same religion, or there may be physical attributes that we pay more attention to as well. So not to shame anyone for that. But what we're saying here is that there are things that are more important than what we see on a surface level. And oftentimes what we're focused on that we're attracted to on a surface level isn't even congruent with what we really are attracted to. So for instance, if I'm attracted to someone with a particular feature, I have to ask myself, am I attracted to them or am I attracted because society told me that I needed to be attracted or because of my cultural background? Do I have to be with a woman who has a big ass and wide hips or do I need to be with a woman who uh, has these physical features at all? Or is it more important to me that she is supportive and is someone who supports my freedom of expression and encourages me to be who I am and empowers me? Is that more important than what society tells me? I like what you said about looking at our beliefs and our values, really, and looking to see if a person aligns according to that rather than anything else. Exactly. I'm a bad person to talk about preferences so much because now I've dated like different heights. I've also dated people from like complete different ethnical backgrounds and I'm having actually a hard time thinking like when people are like, so what's your type? I have no idea. 
yes, I know of a type because of like magazines and having grown up in Italy. And so if you ask me to describe, okay, what does a handsome man look like? I will describe certain features, but then I go out in the real world and I date that type, but also 10 other types. So I have a feeling that it's not that I don't give importance to physical attraction. Of course I do, but either I connect with people much more on a personality level, or I just taught myself to look look for other things than like my type i like what you said like not shaming people for their preferences but i think it's a really really healthy thing to question your preferences like where you got that preference from is it because like you know if you're a man is it because it reminds you of like your mom or like your aunt who was a female figure uh, growing up or is it me growing up in italy we have this like cult of like the well-dressed sort of like macho looking man where does it come from because it will come from somewhere chances are it's not just you were born with this preference it's like 90% the environment where you grew up with and sometimes it's actually not doing you a favor because you keep casting people on their appearance and casting out some people who actually from a personality standpoint might match with you on a much better level yeah I would encourage anyone to go through that questioning journey and then yeah see what comes out how long have you been open about having herpes pretty much since i started my channel so i think it's been four or five years what encouraged you what empowered you what called you to start the channel and begin just talking about it so freely at the time i was dating yet another guy and this is one of the times where i felt really bad about myself because i allowed us to be intimate without having disclosed to him And every time I talk to people who have made the same mistake, I try to also tell them the conversation around sexual health before sexual interaction is not just on you because you have a diagnosis to disclose. It's actually something that both parties should feel responsible to introduce and to have. So don't blame yourself for not having talked about sexual health. However, because you have a diagnosis, you need to make sure that before you engage with them intimately, whether that's penis and vagina or oral sex or like rubbing, you need to have that conversation before. Anyhow, great preaching, but that's absolutely not what I practiced in that relationship. By the time I disclosed to him, there was like a half a second in his eyes where he just looked at me like as if I was a virus, you know? Like it was not me, Lorraine, the girl that he had been seeing and dating for a few months. Back then it was like danger. That glimpse of fear in his eyes kind of traumatized me. Afterwards, he was actually pretty cool about it like he put himself in in my shoes and he was like if i had been in your position i don't know what i would have done i don't know how to introduce these conversations i can imagine this is really stressful for you and since i don't know what i would have done i can't be mad at you like of course i wish that you told me but i also understand after that long story short he wanted some time to think about it and to figure out how he wanted to proceed and during that week i like agonized i thought that was it and he was just the first example of what would be a series of many people who would like think I'm absolutely awesome and fantastic and then 
walk away as soon as they heard of my diagnosis. And I remember calling my mom and one, telling her about my diagnosis and two, telling her that I felt like someone had just amputated me. Not that being amputated is like uh, shameful or anything. I just felt disabled. I felt like there was something that was going to miss from myself and my body forever. And I had to learn how to navigate the world without a core thing which was my sexuality and during that week for the first time so this was like a couple years after I contracted it for the first time I had the great idea of googling it (laughs) because apparently it didn't occur to me I think I was just like in big denial mode and I googled herpes and herpes symptoms and like all my questions I just turned to google as if it was my best friend actually found Ella Dawson's blog uh, which I found super inspiring and super empowering and then all the articles that I was reading We just keep saying the same thing over and over again, which was that the psychological effect was much more impactful than the physical repercussions of the virus. And that freed me so much that I felt that I couldn't keep this revelation to myself. I went from not telling anyone to wanting to tell the world. In that moment, I was freed from shame and I was able to look at this as the strategies that I am in my professional life of having understood that basically herpes has very bad reputation, unknown and misunderstood, and that actually it needed to be reframed and it needed a lot more personal stories and it needed people to talk about their experiences rather than doctors talking about the medical nature of the virus to kind of level set a little bit what the perception was and what the reality was. Liberation, by definition, is freedom from limits of thought or behavior. It's one of my favorite words and one of my core values that I use to navigate my life decisions. One of those life decisions has been to seek out a therapist for myself. I advocate for others to have a therapist for themselves. Why not me? I told y'all early on that something positive for positive people was going to help people struggling with their diagnosis to get a therapist. I could not have guessed what that would look like, but here we are now, y'all, sponsored by BetterHelp. Something Positive for Positive People has partnered with BetterHelp to give you 10% off your first month of communication with your own licensed professional therapist when you visit www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash SPFPP. I know that's a whole lot of P's right there, y'all. But um, I went to the website. I answered a questionnaire, which also left space for me to fill in some things I would like guidance through specifically. So you've heard me talk about my dad issues on podcast episodes. We've discussed burnout, compassion fatigue. And later on in this interview with Loreen, you'll hear about my own concerns about anger and then consistency in the space of sex education and uh, just advocacy for it. These are things I'm aware of, but I don't quite know how to sort through. So I shared these in the comments box when I was seeking out a therapist for myself. And now you can do the same. We often talk about on the show how we think it's herpes, but it turns out to be something deeper that usually centers around unprocessed beliefs and behaviors, and we're just completely unaware of those. And by going to www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP, don't forget the acronym at the end, we can begin uncovering that in under 24 hours. 
There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be available locally in many areas, but that's okay because I was able to schedule a video call with my counselor via the app within 24 hours. You know I cannot wait to tell y'all about all these ugly cries I'm about to have from this, but it's all about the beauty and the process of liberation. Already more affordable than traditional offline counseling, you can save an extra 10% off your first month when you visit www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. Oh, and financial aid is, in fact, available. Whew, it is official, y'all. BetterHelp is sponsoring the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. Get 10% off your first month at www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. And now back to Lorraine. What I'm seeing personally throughout my experience of being open about having herpes and welcoming in all these different kinds of conversations, I see that there are a lot of people who do what you do as far as creating something with a pure intention of helping other people, changing the narrative, doing something in regards to the stigma so that no one else has to go through the same experience that you went through. But you've been consistent with it. What keeps you going? What keeps you consistent in this space? Because it's so easy to get burnt out. Now, I would say that you're one of the go-to resources for sure. If someone finds you and they see your work and they're inspired and they want to go off and do something like this on their own. I've seen a number of people just enter the space, create some sort of an Instagram account, post stuff, and then just kind of disappear. So my question to you is how do you stay consistent? Man, that's a very good question. I never really asked myself that because I think it's not something that I like rationally try to explain. It's just something I feel. I'm just obsessed with demystifying so much of what is holding us back and what is holding us from truly knowing ourselves. You know, we, we are very pushed to explore our from like a sports standpoint, physical potential, our intellectual potential, our creative potential, our empathetic potential. But the sexual potential is always something that is kind of like frowned upon or, or shameful. And I think having anything around sex that we believe is bad or limiting is actually preventing us from knowing a part of who we are and me myself I have to admit I'm much better at talking now I'm actually getting better at talking about all of this than actually living by it I think a lot of misperceptions that people have is that I'm like super sexually liberated and a freak in the bedroom and all of that I actually wish I was a little bit more carefree I think is the right word but this is also the true meaning of sex positivity is being able to to understand and accept and empathize with other people's sexuality and not having to necessarily share those same practices or those same kinks or fantasies but just respect that it is something that is important to them and this journey of talking about my diagnosis has opened so many doors for me on an intellectual standpoint and understanding humans through their sexual energy and the repression that we often put on ourselves. It's the most 
I don't know, meaningful thing that I've probably done in my 33 years of life. It's as if I found my purpose. I just help people rethink what they think of their limitations and what they think of their potential. And through that, I probably also help myself rethink of my limitations and, and my potential. It's not just like this one-way generous thing from Loreen, you know, I probably get a lot from it as well. But yeah, it's nothing that I had to ever answer to myself on a pragmatic level because I just feel it. Like it's the most, it's the biggest obsession that I have, I think, experienced in my life. So what I just heard is it's not about the herpes itself that may have gotten you on this path. That may have brought you to this point. But what keeps you here is an obsession, a desire to remove the cap that people place on themselves or encourage people to remove their own caps and limitations. It may on the surface be herpes, but it could also be at some point some narrative that you were told at some point in your life that you weren't good enough or that you weren't deserving of this or that being sexual was bad or being competitive is bad or being someone who likes a certain thing is bad or being who you are essentially who you want to be is a bad thing and this is one way of showing people that that's not the case yeah this is this is uh, very very nicely summarized i think that the most of my efforts at least on youtube have been focused on herpes and sexual health but it also goes beyond that. In the past year, I've, I've also started to talk about body positivity and just the relationship that we have to our body. Because, of course, when you contract an STI, it changes your outlook on your body. And you were a part of that project, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, when we keep talking about our bodies as if it's just about our looks and we normalize bodies from any ethnicity, from any size, from any disability, but we fail to normalize the things that a body may carry and that might not show on the outside, and yet it's very present inside and also present on people's minds, we do a disservice to what a body actually is and to the relationship that we're trying to build, like a healthy relationship we're trying to build with our body. So. I think I keep discovering so many taboos that are perniciously reducing our outlook of, on, on who we are and are tainting the relationship that we have with ourselves. And I'm exploring just all these avenues. Some I feel a bit more prepared to talk about, probably because I've also experienced some of them. Others, I feel like I'm just a, a student and I'm like watching or reading and learning and learning and learning, but it's so fascinating. You know, the topic of identity is, is super fascinating one. Also, the reason why I keep going is because I can really measure the impact of my work and sure, whenever I'm doing my brand strategy job and I see that a campaign has performed according to the metrics of like impressions and click-through rates and all of that, like that's cool. But when you receive messages from people who actually have benefited from your words or from your ideas or just from your experience, this is for me an impact that has like it's worth gold. So when you see that you could help people not make the same mistakes that you have or maybe remove the limits, again, the limitations that they think they had been put there or that had been put there, this is probably my, yeah, my biggest motivation. Taking it back to anyone who may 
choose to follow your path in this, where that sense of liberation, it can be addicting. It can be uh, intoxicating. Intoxicating is the word I meant to say, not addicting. I don't think that there's been a moment where uh, I've felt more liberated than when I finally did hit send announcing, okay, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while. This is what it's about. This is my situation. And it's because I didn't have anything to hide anymore. I felt free from myself, the limitations that I put on myself. And I felt liberated. That might have been, for me, one of the biggest obstacles was my own self-imposed limitations for myself. I didn't know that telling the world or telling my networks of people was going to bring about this feeling of liberation. I happen to be fortunate enough to where I don't deal with stigma near as much as people in other occupations, work fields and everything may have to deal with. So I bring this up because um, it's not always safe for us. I mean, it's herpes, right? But for someone who may come out as a member of the LGBT community, or if someone comes out as something that they've been holding on to for their whole lives or repressing, or even if it's been their sexuality, they come out and say to family, friends, or someone that they are a sex worker, even. The liberating feeling is awesome. It's amazing. It's great. In some cases, it doesn't have consequences. In some cases, it does. Do you feel like there were any consequences in you opening up about your diagnosis and were there any downsides to that feeling of liberation for you after having been open about having herpes? Actually, before um, answering that, I, I, I want to build on something that you said. I think the feeling of liberation doesn't come from expressing your diagnosis to other people and having a validation, an external validation that there is nothing wrong with you. For me, the liberation came in that week where I did all my research and I came to the realization that there was nothing to be ashamed of. I think that's what I would encourage people to look for, is the liberation from themselves and their own stigma. Then it obviously matters that you assess your surroundings and you also you know, understand the context and what the implications of that context could mean according to your identity. If you are able to share it with whoever you want to share it, it's up to you and it's on your own timing. This feeling of liberation will be amplified, but it is not built from the external validation. I think it's built within ourselves. That's something I wanted to clarify. And then to answer your question, you know, I started a new job and there was a summer party, like maybe a week after I started my new job. And then a guy whom I had met five minutes before just starting talking was like, hey, can I ask you a question? I Googled you and there's like articles that came up with you about having herpes and like, what's the deal with that? Why do you do that? You know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. But yeah, I was very uh, honest and like upfront with him just saying it's something that affected me personally it's statistically affecting a lot of people and I think it's a shame not to be able to talk about you know our health in the full spectrum of our health and actually that led to a conversation about him and his health and like how to protect himself with his partner in that moment I had the like uh what do you call it fight or fight or f flight flight or something yeah 
where I was like, okay, should I just get the hell out of here? Is he trying to, like, bully me and he doesn't even know me? Like, all these fears coming through my head. And then I was like, all right, let's just have a conversation. So there, but again, as you were saying, I work in advertising, which is a an industry where the weirder you are, and by weirder, I don't mean that having herpes makes you weird. It's just, like, the more bold, the more quirky, the more you will go the more interesting you are. And so I've always been supported by my bosses and by my coworkers for what I was doing. Probably got a lot of like back talks too, but I, I wasn't there to witness that and I'm very fine with it. But I would say so far, yeah, I was very lucky to have been on a path. You know, I've always lived in pretty diverse and like open liberal cities like New York City or Berlin. Those are very open-minded cities so the choices that I made in my life like working advertising and living in the cities that I lived in made it easier for me to be aligned between like who I am what I have what I preach and how able I am to live that truth with transparency yeah I would say so far it has done me more good than harm yeah. So your advice to anyone who may be on the fence about public disclosure or be stepping into this space as someone who can be a resource is just to really assess your surroundings first. So look at the information, see how you feel. That feeling of liberation is internal and should not be externally driven. So if you're feeling called to open up because you're hoping to get likes and comments and messages back from people saying thank you and that kind of validation, then this may not be the best time for you this may not be the best path for you when it happens on an internal level then it's real it's congruent with your values your beliefs and when you do make the decision to seek the information that may be enough for you and if you choose to be there you can be there in a number of different ways and these most recent podcast episodes have been with people who have either publicly disclosed or thought about it and didn't or they advocate in their own way for herpes education sex education and so you know my goal here and i've said it before is just to give you the options i want you to have all of the options so that you can make the best choice that aligns with you but like lorraine said just assess your surroundings and maybe public disclosure is not the best route for you maybe it is we don't know but do that for yourself lorraine i am obviously going to link to yeah. Can I ask you, actually, uh, what keeps you going in that space? Because you've been going with something positive for positive people for a while, and you've also branched out like a lot beyond the podcast, and you're getting even more knee-deep into supporting people, and like the podcast is one outlet through which you're supporting people, but you're exploring more avenues to bring that support to people who might be like from very emotionally affected to some that are maybe less emotionally affected so what keeps you going <sighs> big question all right i didn't even think about that i don't think anyone's ever asked me this <laughs> initially there was anger i have had a history of anger <laughs> in me my mom can tell you <laughs> i guess this is like an outlet for that anger in a way because when i found out that there were people who wanted to in their lives after a herpes diagnosis. I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, huh, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense because it's just herpes, right? But um, that's not the case. So it's really our mental, the way that we respond to a herpes diagnosis, it's more of like a mental thing. 
I know people who have died by suicide. I know people who have threatened suicide. I know people who have uh, suicide ideation. To me, that's been probably one of the most selfish things that you can do to the people around you. And this is just my opinion. It's not like fact. Like, I understand people may think that's a wrong thing to say, but it angered me to know that these people may have been crying out for help and just didn't have it. And so that being the starting point of this and uh, wanting to just give people other options or to show people like, hey, there are people who live completely normal lives with this virus that you just will never hear from because they don't have any reason to share. (laughs) So that fire has probably just stayed ignited throughout. That's probably what it is, just the anger and knowing that someone probably could have still been here if they just had what this is, you know? They didn't realize that they had a choice to let this diagnosis keep being, like, the biggest cloud over their life and over their future or process it in a different way and actually get beyond that initial trauma. But when you think you don't have options, that is the most, like, actually limiting feeling and perception that you can have. And Yeah, I think I can understand. All right, cool. Because, like, the more I try to talk, I feel like the more I'm trying to bullshit my way through it. But <laughs> I, I'll say that, like, that's probably my most intense emotion is probably anger. I've assessed my values. My core values are liberation, peace, evolution, and... um What's worked its way in there a little bit recently is consistency and transparency. So I have five values now. And I think that all of my decisions come from that place. Am I being consistent? Is this something that I can be consistent with? Is this something that is liberating? Is this something that I'm able to be transparent about? Does this bring me peace? Is this bringing peace to the world? And anything that decisions are made from there that to me, like aligns, right? I've learned that I'm very driven by connection. So this is something that I'm connected to myself. I'm able to connect with other people and inspire, encourage, empower them to be connected to themselves as well. And I think that the more of that connection that we have to ourselves, like the more little Courtney's or Lorraine's that can be out there in the world so that when someone who might be struggling a little bit more than usual, they know where to reach out for a little bit of motivation or life or whatnot. But I don't get angry about a lot of things. I hate when people bully people that can't defend themselves, right? (laughs) And then I hate when people feel like their only option is to die. Like, they have to die. So, yeah, I think that that answers the question, I think. My anger keeps me consistent. That's a weird thing to say for somebody hosting a podcast called Something Positive for Positive People. (laughs) Well, but you know what? I mean, my boss would align with you. He he says, like, anger is the, the biggest creative fuel, actually. Like, if you're just positive about everything and optimistic and happy and content, there's nothing that you're pushing back on. There's not, there's no tension. But when you're angry, it's a matter of how you're going to channel that anger and what you're going to use the anger towards. But 
feeling that there is like I don't know where the anger is coming from if, if it's some an injustice you know or if there's like um, I don't know uh, uh, victimization and pain like wherever it might be coming from and that provokes anger that's actually a big kick to do something it's it's an activator yeah but then you need to channel it in the right way <laughs> I'm not saying people get angry <laughs> this morning I was meditating and I was like I am an angry person like as I was meditating I was thinking about it I was like I have a lot of anger and I don't really I don't have an outlet for it so you asking me this it, it connected the dots for me so perfect timing for that I was like damn yeah. I need to do something because I've always played sports video games doesn't do it for me anymore so I was like all right well maybe it's sex like I take out aggression and, and sex consensually of course but then I was like well damn what if I'm not having sex like how can I do this in a way that it's just me how can I express my anger and then I left the meditation with that kind of being the intention of figuring out throughout the day and deciding okay, I am going to be completely honest with people. Like if I'm feeling angry, I have to tell them so that I depressurize immediately. And then here we are. Shit, this is my outlet for anger. <laughs> if I'm not doing this podcast, then I'm an angry person. All right. Thank you for this therapy <laughs> session. What's your Venmo? <laughs> yeah, I started boxing a few months ago. And yeah, I felt like just doing yoga. It was like at times you just want to punch something you know and that was the perfect like yin and yang for me and now that we can't really exercise and like go out and stuff I, I, I stopped doing it and I'm far from being anywhere advanced or being able to like carry a fight actually the, the fight is not even the purpose it's more the training and the mindset like how it's a bit of a choreography you have to remember the moves and then you know you have someone holding the pads and someone holding the the uh, throwing the punches and then you have to relearn that choreography but like holding the pads instead of throwing the punches and I find that it actually has my mind focused on what's the choreography let's call it like that but my body is releasing a lot of that energy a lot of that anger a lot of that frustration sometimes you know yeah well shit I feel like I need to go journal now or something <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Laureen, is there anything else you want to leave the people with before I let you go? Um, have I included all my my uh, points of contact and stuff, or are you going to do that in the wrap-up? I'll, I'll do all of Wait, what you mean? Like, like uh, how to, how to find you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you, I mean, I, I don't know if people have listened this long, so it's been 90 minutes already. <laughs> So I'll be sure to link to where people can find you in the show notes, but you can also tell us just in case uh, they are listening still at this point. How can people find you? Um, yeah, so people can find me on YouTube at Lorene HD, uh, and they can also find me on Instagram at Lorene HD. And just to set expectations, my especially Instagram account is not solely focused on herpes acceptance and um, sexual education it's actually my private personal account and I think there's a lot of good that people get from seeing how I just live my life and like other aspects of my life that are not necessarily honing in and, and hyper focused on uh, herpes so if that is something that you're interested in I think uh, it's it, it would be an interesting account to, to follow but if you're looking more for herpes strictly herpes related information or experiences to relate to then I would more direct people towards my YouTube 
channel, which is more focused on all that stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll link to all of that in the show notes so that people can just click in case you're driving. You don't have to. Well, shit, where are we going? (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you want to check out any of Lorraine's pages, I'll be sure to link it into the show notes. If you like this podcast episode, please send us a rating review. Let us know what you think. Um, Share the podcast with someone especially now. If you're someone who can promote us, then please do. (laughs) If you're someone who has the means of supporting something positive for positive people by making a monetary donation, if you visit the homepage of spfpp.org, you'll see multiple options for doing so there. Lorraine, can you take us out with the till next time, please stay sex positive. Don't say please. I don't know why I put please in there. Can you please take us out with a till next time, stay sex positive. Of course. Till next time, stay sex positive.